I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to Split Opinion with Flora Gill and Amber Rudd. Flora, I think you'll find it's Amber Rudd first and shouldn't you tell people who we are? Okay, uh, with journalist Flora Gill and failed politician Amber Rudd. (laughs) Or more like the right honourable Amber Rudd and her nobody daughter. Okay, wow, taking that to therapy. Each week we'll be discussing topics that split opinion and we'll be trying to convince each other to change their mind. That's right, because here at Split Opinion we think changing your mind should be celebrated. Too often today, people refuse to listen to the other side and have become very dogmatic in their positions. That's something I learned a lot about in the past few years in politics. So we'll be looking at items that have changed our mindset in the last week before picking a subject to delve into. Sometimes they'll be serious, like drug legalisation and prostitution. Other times they'll be less so, like telly and thongs. But we won't be doing it alone. We'll be joined by a guest, an expert, who can help each of us win our particular case. So without further ado, let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Split Opinion. Today, we're going to be talking about whether we should be optimistic or pessimistic about the future. We'll be joined by Gloria De Piero, former Labour MP, Femi Olawale, best known for fighting passionately against Brexit, and finally by comedian Jimmy Carr. What what a treat we've got ahead, Flora, for our final episode. I can't believe it's our final episode already. I know, a whole dozen. I know. Do you think we've lost all our listeners or we've still got a few? I think at least some members of our family are, are still listening along. Yes, I hope they are. I hope they are. Because um, you've got a birthday coming up, haven't you? I, I'm not sure I have it coming up. Mum is bringing up what is my mini topic of this week, what I've changed my mind on, which is that I've always been very okay with my age and very kind of a bit judgy of people that care too much about what age they are and the big landmarks that they reach. And now I'm turning 30 this year and I feel I'm not happy about it. I got, I've, I recently saw some quite negative tweets about me online saying, oh, I can't believe she's 29. And they meant them as an insult to say I was immature. And in fact, I saw them as a bit of a compliment. And I was like, me too. I can't believe I'm 29. <laughs> but, you know, I had promised you a really lavish party, something really grand with hundreds of people. But I'm so sorry, Flora. It seems like Matt Hancock and Boris Johnson have stopped that. Okay, that's such a lie because mum didn't <laughs> didn't have any plans for any party. In fact, it was going got... to be a surprise. <laughs> it's, like you, it's like when it's suddenly pouring down with rain and you're like, damn, I was going to take you to Disneyland today. Oh no, have to cancel the plans. So that's, I think that's, that's, that's what I've changed. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to, to not care, to get over it, to embrace my oh, 30s. It, midlife crisis, anything dramatic you're going to be doing? Uh, hang on, hang on. Is that why you've got that absolutely disgusting piercing? <laughs> yes, as a... As, Yes, I thought you might not love uh, this little bit of bling that I've got in my ear. It's completely as a result of a, I wouldn't say midlife crisis, I don't think I'm halfway through my life, but as a result of leaving my 20s, I'm in such denial that I went and got a uh, rather large scaffolding piercing through my ear, which is like a pole that diagonally goes across your ear. It is so ugly. (laughs) 
it's like <laughs> an arrow. Cheap. It's like a kind of mini St. Stephen. So it's an arrow straight through your ear. Um, it's just, you look across between sort of pixie and Robin Hood. Those are both incredibly cute. No, they're I not. I have no problem with either of those. It's just really, really ugly. Oh my God, that's so mean. You can't look at my face and say it's really, really ugly. I'm looking at your ear, Flora. Anyway, I, I, I have a rule, which is I'm always going to tell you and your brother when you do something outrageous and I'm not going to pretend to love it. I hate your brother's tattoos. If he ever listens to this, he will not be surprised. He knows I hate them, every single one of them. And he keeps on getting more and I hate it. He's threatening to get one that says, I love mum. I hate that too. <laughs> if he loves me, he shouldn't do it. And I do not like the way you've done that piercing in your ear. And I'm amazed at you, Flora, because I thought I was safe with tattoos and piercings because I know that you're a scaredy cat. I know that because when I took you to get your ears pierced after you asked for it, just traditional little ears pierced on in your lobes, nothing too exotic. Um, you, after the first one was done, you refused to have the second one done because yeah. you were so frightened. And I thought, that's great, a scaredy cat for a daughter. Yeah, I can tell you, this one really hurt. And I went in and had it done on my own and he... <laughs> The piercer just after he'd done one just looked at my face and he just was like, "Do you need do you, do you need a glass of water? Do you need to lie down?" Because I think I went pale sheet white. I nearly broke down into tears. But then there were all these hardcore men getting you know face tattoos and whole body Oof. piercing, but, and I was like, "I can't just be getting my." Lo- the doesn't that, isn't that difficult to sleep on one side? Or yes, the other side? yes, it's impossible. If I'm being honest, I completely regret it. It's horrible. It yes. really hurts. Okay, well, then let that be a message. I have to other twenty salt water every day. Apparently, it's going to take like six months to. Two Two years to heal. You're lucky you've got a boyfriend now because otherwise you wouldn't get one with that. Mummy, I I would get a boyfriend because of my intellect and my wit and my brain. Well, this would go a long way to put them off. Um, So anyway, but but, but if you ever want to come around and get some Savlon off me or something to help it if it gets infected. Well, my my boyfriend's away this weekend, so I might need you to clean it with a swab to get the dry, crusty bits off it. going to be sick. So our main theme is optimism versus pessimism. Now, I don't know a single politician who doesn't say that they are an optimist. And as a former politician, I am totally consistent with that. I want to find the reasons to be optimistic, however difficult things are. I think if you're going to look ahead, you've got to think that things are going to get better. And also, I think... Politicians are optimistic because they want to be part of making the changes to make things better. So it's absolutely natural and consistent with, I think, a good political heart to be optimistic. Now, I don't think Flora shares quite my view. No, I'm incredibly pessimistic. I think things have got terrible this year and I can't see how they're going to get any better. Oh, well, that was very conclusive. (laughs) I'm going to give you a few reasons. Okay. I'm ready. Okay, let's start with the obvious one. We're in the midst of a pandemic. We are. It doesn't really seem like it's going great. I don't have much faith in the government to do any better. There's no sign that a vaccine is going to work. And if it is going to come out, then it's going to be next year. Christmas is dead. Number two that I know we're going to talk a lot about later, so I'm only going to touch upon it, the dreaded Brexit topic. How is it still not over? I do not understand. How are we closer to no deal? Number three, I don't really understand what's going on with the whole illegal aspect of that and breaking the law. I just see it and now it seems like so, so predictable that the government is doing something that in any other government would just be front page. How are we not storming the streets protesting? But right now it's like, so I'm just saying number three is just the government in general. Next we have... America, I'm not feeling that optimistic. Everyone thinks that Trump's going to win. I am just a bit worried about it. That's what everyone thought before with Hillary Clinton. Didn't work out. What else? Climate change. The CO2 in the atmosphere has, has not been this high in three million years. Sea levels are rising three millimetres per year. Every fact that I could find on it was negative. I do not feel optimistic. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a few others, but okay, I'm going to stop is, there. That, that is quite a menu of depressing things that you think are reason to be pessimistic. But within each of those, there is also things to be optimistic about. Do you want me to run through each of them then? Not really. I quite like like wallowing in my pity. <laughs> Your misery. I had a look at uh, YouGov to see what the general population thought. So in a study last year, YouGov asked, generally speaking, would you consider yourself as more of an optimist or a pessimist? What do you think the results were? I bet most people think they're optimistic. Yeah, that is completely correct. Twice as many people consider themselves optimistic as opposed to pessimistic. You you always like to be in a minority, Flora. There's one age group where it's evenly divided, though. Uh, 40s. 
Nope, it's the under 24s, which I am basically a part of. Yeah, darling, you're not. We've already dealt with this. <laughs> okay, well, let's see what any of our guests think, if they agree with me or disagree. I'm I'm hopeful that they're all going to be quite pessimistic because we've got, you know, a Labour MP, a staunch Remainer, Jimmy Carr, he's always quite morose, has got quite dark humour. I think he could be quite pessimistic. Uh, so let's see where they land. Great. And now we've got our first guest, which is Gloria De Piero, who was an MP at the same time as me for nine years Labour MP you have complained to me about not having Labour MPs former MPs on (laughs) and um, she has now got a show on Times Radio and she was always a great person for standing up for women I think she was shadow in the shadow cabinet for women inequalities so she will certainly have some views about optimism or pessimism Aha! Hello, Gloria. Hello. How lovely to see you. Hi. This is Flora. So it's a um, it's quite a change from where we were last year, isn't it? Oh my gosh! (laughs) The only time I was ever happy when I saw you, Amber, was when we were having a blow dry in the salon. Oh yes, (laughs) we did used to we did used to have a bit of a frank chat in the blow dry. There were quite a lot of blow dry plots going on, and then sudden silence would sort of overcome everybody when somebody wasn't really. in the in the group very sweet of you to join us here today uh flora and i are doing the last of our episode on split opinion which is about something we disagree about and trying to persuade each other of it and this week this final week we're doing should we be optimistic or pessimistic about our future and gloria i've invited you along as my guest in the hope that you might be optimistic but i need to ask you to be fair to flora whether you really feel that way before we might move on to one or two of the really difficult subjects to see if you still feel optimistic despite some of the activities of our former colleagues going on at the moment. So I am generally an optimistic person. One always thinks that the next generation's life will be better than the last generation. My life is unrecognisable from that of my mum and dad in terms of the opportunities and, and the lifestyle that, that I have had but probe me too hard, come to my Flora, and I might and I might <laughs> crack a bit. Exactly. So, so, so what about, for instance, on uh, if I may put it this way, our old friend Brexit? Just when you thought it was safe to listen to the news again, <laughs> back it comes, like jaws emerging again from the water. Um, you know what? Sure. I watched the Parliament Channel last night. For the first time, I watched a debate in the Parliament Channel because I don't know about you, Amber, but the madness of what we went through during the Brexit debates years, where we literally talked about the same thing. Um, for, it felt like years. It, it was sort of years, wasn't it? And so I, I just... So you, you think it's all over, as you say. And then last night I knew it was back and I, and I, and I went for the remote show and I've had no desire to look at the Parliament Channel uh, since I've left. And I thought, oh, is it as bad as last time? Is it as bad as what we went through? I don't think it is. No. I think people have got really fatigued by Brexit now. A lot of, lot of people were so involved, especially my generation, more than any, a lot of other issues uh, that have gone on. But now I think everyone is so over it. It almost feels slightly um, like a nice blast of the past, having a break from COVID and drama to be like, oh, it's like we've stepped back in time and now we're back to Brexit. And then you remember everything's still going down there. But do you think that the whole... Because you're right, Flora, people are sort of a bit over it. But in the midst of that debate, I never thought anyone, I thought Britain had changed forever. I didn't think anybody could uh, disagree with each other in an agreeable way again. I didn't, I thought everybody was just going to be permanently angry. And now, because as you say, there's a bit of Brexit fatigue, you do think, what, what on earth was all that about? What happened to, to Britain? during that period so i am i thank goodness we can say bye to that yeah Yeah. i i didn't i have i didn't watch the debate i only watched like the clip of ed Miliband destroying boris it feels a bit like um it felt a bit like when you don't go out with a boyfriend because you don't like his pair of shoes and then end up married to a man that's just 
an absolute clown. It felt like watching watching the man who you turned down. I think I think I think Ed Miliband's the bow there, and Boris is the clown. Yeah. So I think your side uh, won in that particular comparator with Flora. But I, I sort of agree. I think that it feels like Pond is trying to rev it up again, but mm. people aren't really biting. No, I went. Um, so I'm up. Uh, I still spend half my time in the constituency that I used to um, represent, and I find dog walking a great focus groups because weirdly, I miss. Um, knocking on doors because I just felt it kept us in touch in a yes. way that I, I, I'm not I don't feel as in touch not having to do that anymore so my dog walking is is how I do it um, but people knew they didn't know you know because it quite quickly gets into the reads this debate doesn't it about the internal markets bill so they didn't go into that but they knew that he'd signed something and they knew that you couldn't just not sign something you couldn't just like say that you weren't going to do something that you'd already signed um, but it wasn't wasn't done with the same venom. Nowhere no. near the same venom as we were we we we, we enjoyed Amber. <laughs> we had to endure. <laughs> uh, so so Gloria was an MP for the same nine years as I was, yeah. and before Brexit came along to smash open all the political tribes, mm. etc. There were other big issues, and the big issue really that I was involved with before Brexit was the whole issue of climate change, which felt like there was a certain amount of unity on in Parliament with the Climate Change Act. Uh, with the binding carbon budgets, all that stuff. Do you think there's any cause to be optimistic about Parliament addressing climate change? Um, I think Donald Trump said today on visiting wildfires, don't worry, it'll cool down soon. I saw that. Uh, (laughs) So um, that's not a a reason for optimism. But, you know, I always think about um, speaking to you from this former uh, pit, pit, pit town, they're all pit towns around here. And I think if you can marry the sort of um, the passion of Flora's generation with an economic plan for, for areas like this, which used to power Britain and, you know, get them making the, you know, the things that we all know we're going to all have in the future, like you, the solar panels and, I mean, you, 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 you're far ahead of this number than me, but all of those things that we can do as consumers to affect climate change then I think it could be a really optimistic moment for Britain if we can set people back to, you know, particularly in places where the jobs that have replaced those jobs in the pits are not as high status, they're not as well paid. And wouldn't that be a source of optimism to put together Flora's generation with some, some, some particular, not particularly fulfilling jobs in places like I'm speaking to you from today. But do we have faith in the current government? Because it's not just about the the ideals and, and the will of the people. It's also about the, those in power implementing and making it happen. And do we have faith that the current government will act on that? The reason why I brought in the economics there is because I think that's what makes it a no-brainer. Mm. The economy is in trouble, right? Um, and remember, I'm now sat in a Tory seat, by the way, as I'm talking to you. Mm. And all those red wall seats, which frankly, I mean, I don't know if forgotten is the wrong word. But basically, when we started speaking about being optimism about my generation being better than having better life chances than my mums and dads, that's not necessarily uh, the same. It or has happened to the same extent in the towns that the, the Tories got lots of lots of working class MPs actually have come into this this intake they're representing many working class communities who think their best days are behind them and it is the Tory is an opportunity for the Tories to demonstrate that their best days could be ahead of them and I think that's how you can you, you, you know that climate change and and um renewable energy might be might be a, a way forward for the, these communities yes I agree because then you're marrying up the need to address it with the mantra that the Prime Minister's trying to deliver on. So that, yeah. that's a sweet spot, really, as we know. So, yes, that's that's reasons for optimism, just. <laughs> so, as you said, you're now sitting in a Tory seat. Yeah. Um, obviously, things have changed a lot for the Labour Party. I mean, causing you yourself to resign. Oh, my gosh, Flora. <laughs> I, literally, I got into Parliament and, and the Labour Party went, like, from bad to worse. <laughs> I feel a bit robbed about that. Mm. You know, I really do. Every every minute, Amber was in government. Amber was Amber was in the cabinet. I was just 
say thinking on those back benches, those green benches, sometimes from the front bench, the shadow cabinet, this is going really, really badly wrong. <laughs> so you said you said you, you felt robbed. Do you miss it? Do you do you think, oh now it looks like the Labour Party kind of coming up. I wish I was still sitting there. Um no I don't. I don't know. I'm sad that my experience in Parliament was the experience that it was, although I learned a, a huge amount, but, but from up here, not down there, from, from, from the place that I'm talking to you from, really changed my politics, actually, representing a community um, like this. I just wish I'd have had a different 10 years, but I don't know about you, Amber, but 10 years in politics, it seems like quite a long time to me. It's the only weird profession where you can sort of be carried out in a box and that's completely normal. Yes. You're there for decades and decades. I, I felt it was enough too, but I, I, I add to that for, for better or for worse, uh, four years in cabinet. And that was pretty intense. And I now came, when I came out of it into what I call sort of normal life, the idea of not having to work at weekends um, was sort of extraordinary, yeah. not being on all the time. And it takes a bit of time to recover. But, I, I, you know, those, those nine years were an extraordinary nine years. I've, I spoke to a friend today who is, who's a Tory MP who came in in 2015. And the, the centrist Tory MPs are thinking the same as you were thinking. They're like, oh, dear God, uh, you know, I'm never going to get on under Boris Johnson. Um, am I going to stay? Am I going to leave? I mean, you know, politics has become so disruptive now. But, I mean, I don't believe you're right. That's how I feel. But then I, I think they can't have all have just been love and kindness, can it? You know, in all those, um, you know, all our predecessors can't have just been really kind and understanding. There were big battles. I mean, you know, um, Big, big, huge battles, the Falklands, the miners' strike. So, yes. you know, they, but maybe they, were, maybe they did agree, disagree more agreeably. The one thing we haven't talked about is um, the big thing making lots of people pessimistic, COVID. How do you feel about the government's yeah. handling of it? Are you feeling, I mean, I don't want to put you on a spot no. after you make a medical what, diagnosis. No, not at all, but I'll tell you what... Um, so, my, so I've, I've mentioned my mum and dad quite a bit, maybe more so than I would normally um, in a chat like this. But that's because um, my mum and dad are, they're, they're old now, but my mum and dad are quite socially isolated because they haven't worked for about I don't know, 40 years or something. So I feel a great sense of responsibility to my mum and dad. So I take them on holiday. Um, I get them over here for a few days. Do you know what I mean? I just feel like, Oh, it so, must be so lonely. It's you and the telly. And so I saw them. I took them to the theatre once before COVID in February. We went to see um, The Sound of Music. And then COVID happened. And obviously we haven't been able to do our family holiday. But all I've done is sort of meet them in Bradford City Centre because you can't, you know, they're, they're older and, and vulnerable and have fish and chips with them. And now Bradford, where they live, is under restrictions and has been so since the 31st of July. And there is no sense that that is about to lift. And so I think about all those people like my mum and dad in those restricted areas where, you, you know, when you cannot stay overnight or you cannot meet anybody in a separate household. And if you are older... Um, if you are, in fact, even if you're young and living on your own, those restrictions, which never come in and go straight out, they come in and they stay for a long time. True. And so that, that's, made, that's making me worried about mum and dad, actually. As you know, you can call them on the phone, they don't have the internet or anything like that. So that's, I just want them to get a grip on it. I really want them to get a grip on it for all those lonely people, apart from the health aspects you know we talked about loneliness so much in our politics we in do. fact the government even appointed a, a minister for, for loneliness i don't know if it, that position still exists mm. but what happened to all that talk now i think covid has made a lot of people as well as the obvious death rate and all of that tragedy but loneliness is a really big feature of this pandemic mm. and i don't feel like we're talking about it enough So Gloria really wanted to be optimistic. She was a little bit unsure about some things, a little bit unsure about the government, but really 
she she did want to see the best in the future. Well, she's a former politician. Politicians always feel they want to see the best because otherwise they don't become politicians. The topic that seemed to leave her the most disheartened was talking about Brexit and how we're back there again. Yes, uh, I, and I'm very sympathetic to that. I feel the same way. Many of us thought that once Boris had won his election by his big majority, he would just get, get on and do it. The fact it's become controversial again is an exhausting thought. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to Split Opinion where this week we're discussing whether we should be optimistic or pessimistic about our future. So now we're joined by Femi Oluwole, who is a political activist, uh, best known for his passionate fight against Brexit, um, and is going to talk to us now. Just before we uh, start talking about Brexit, in general, do you consider yourself a pessimist or an optimist? Uh, I see the worst in the world, but believe that it can be changed. So I'm a mix between the two. So when it comes to Brexit, do you think that it's naive optimism to think that we can change anything or should we all be striving to, if we're Remainers, striving to still make a difference? Is there still time to make a change? Um, The likelihood of avoiding a no deal or anything we do avoiding a no deal between now and December is very, very low. Uh, However, as a matter of principle, we should still be doing all that we can to avoid it. And the only way we can do that the only way Boris Johnson will avoid the no deal is if he thinks genuinely that he will be blamed for the consequences of a no deal. So if we keep talking about exactly what no deal will do and, and make sure everyone's aware that this can't all be blamed on coronavirus, it's not the EU's fault, we did this, then Boris Johnson might realise that it's his, in his own self-interest to avoid a no deal. Other than that, we have to wait until the next election before we can change turn things around. Uh, it's interesting, Femi, that... Um, you, you, your efforts are going into stopping a no deal. You're not actually trying to reverse the fact that we have now left the EU officially from the end of January. But the floor still takes the view that we should try to oppose it. But I take the view that that, that ship has sailed now. So in terms of um, where, which direction we should have gone this year versus last year, right now, yes, you're right. I am trying to manage it because... To rejoin the EU would require um, a treaty process, it would require applying to the EU, uh, and that would take a significant period of time. It's not realistic under this government, potentially in the next one. We're looking 2024 before we see any possible shift in that direction. As for uh, whether or not it was possible to stop it, um, ultimately, I mean, we're seeing right now, we spent four years arguing over which who had the right Brexit, what Brexit was the will of the people, uh, negotiating, etc., and we, we ended up with a deal that two out of the three pro-Brexit parties ultimately opposed in the election, the Brexit Party and the DUP. 
So to argue it's, that this was the will of the people is simply incorrect. I think that you express yourself very correctly and clearly, but I think that you underestimate the Brexit fatigue which is out there in the country and really amongst a lot of MPs as well. And that is what the Prime Minister has been able to exploit, really, is that people have had enough. They just want to move away from it. And so they are going with a point of least resistance now, I feel. But that's kind of the point. Um, it is the Brexit fatigue that I largely argued based on, especially last year. I said, all right, uh, I went to places in the country that voted for Brexit and asked them, all right, what would you ideally want the government to be spending their time on? Uh, and they would say things like fixing universal credit, fixing the NHS, um, improving education, addressing regional inequality. Not one of them said, I want to spend the next five, six, seven, ten years negotiating with the EU and Donald Trump. And so when I asked, when you're given the choice, how would you want the, the government to be spending their time? They only chose one way. And we're already seeing we're nine months after supposedly we voted to get Brexit done. And we're still seeing utter chaos. But the difference is the people that, you know, uh, the average Joe on the street or, or like, you know, me, us, whatever, now, now, mom, now that you're not that involved, is that even if the government is still arguing about it and dealing with it for 10 years, it's not something that most people will have to deal with and if people are fat fatigued by it and stop caring about it it will stop becoming political discourse it'll stop being spoken about surely it will just be happening in the background yeah good luck with that um because the thing is brexit exposes vulnerabilities it, it, it makes any vulnerability significantly worse so for example the fact that we're going through coronavirus the fact that we're already struggling means the effect of Brexit is going to hurt us even more. For example, the fact that we already saw um, the coronavirus lead to empty shelves earlier this year because of the very idea that it might affect our food supply. Well, we know that no deal will affect um, our um, movement at the ports and a third of our food comes from the EU. So people will see starkly, hang on, Brexit is impacting my life. So there's no way of avoiding that conversation. On the 31st of October, you're going to see uh, the end of the furlough scheme, which means thousands of employers across the country are going to be asking themselves, can I really afford to bring back my staff and pay them full salary? And on that same day um, is the end of the Brexit negotiations, that's the deadline, which means that on the day that millions of jobs across the UK depend on UK employers being confident in our economy, they will, those same employers will be told we're about to become one of the most geographically isolated economies on the planet. So people are going to see the direct link between what they're living through and Brexit. But it's going to be hidden in it, isn't it? Isn't, isn't the, the, as you said, the result of Brexit going to be so hidden in the result of COVID on the end of furlough? It's all, it's all cleverly going to be able to be packaged within each other and hidden from any kind of blame for Boris or the government. That is the number one priority of, the, of Boris Johnson, in my view, to ensure that all the damage of Brexit is soaked up in coronavirus. However, as I, as I just mentioned, many of the pe people who talked about this V-shaped recovery from coronavirus, that there's nothing fundamentally wrong with our economy. Therefore, as soon as we can deal with the pandemic, the economy will bounce back pretty quickly. The, so we'll actually be able to see starkly a difference between economies that are messed up by Brexit and economies that aren't messed up, Brexit, messed up by Brexit in terms of the speed of economic recoveries. So, we'll, it, so yes, they'll try and hide it, but the facts will speak for themselves. No, I, I agree. I, I find it incredibly depressing the way that the last few months have gone. And I think it reflects really badly on our government and our country. And that it's difficult because it's, it's hard to find the balance between wanting to hold the government to account and people getting annoyed at you for making tragedy political but actually it is incredibly political the whole thing is political is there, is there any reason to be optimistic about politics do you think ultimately my optimism comes from two things one uh, a large part of what's made the last few years difficult is that it's been highly theoretical the arguments around brexit were were theory what will happen what could happen um because we're now actually going to see what Brexit does to the country, that is different. Because, because the Conservatives have a full majority and they can't blame it on anybody else, we're going to see what sort of country are they, are they trying to build. Um, so so the, the certainty is what is one positive, even though it's certainty in what I believe to be a negative, at least there's certainty. They can't hide uh, behind the other theory, positive basically. I'd say is um, the results of the elections, both the 2019 election and the 2017 election, 
uh, parties that I would call more progressive than the Conservatives, namely the SN, namely the Labour, the Dems, SNP, Greens, uh, scored a majority of votes. So, and I believe that there's growing momentum for electoral reform. And if electoral reform does happen, progressive parties on this on our current path will control a majority for the future. You'll never that get quite optimistic. Yes, but you'll never get a Conservative Party in government to agree to electoral reform. Oh, the only never. way you get that is by going back to some sort of coalition or an opposition. It, it, I, I, there is zero chance that the Conservatives will back electoral reform. The, the math speaks for itself. Exactly. The, La, La, Labour got 31%, uh, 32% of the votes in this election, but got 31% of the seats. The Conservatives got 44% of the votes and 56% of the seats. So the system, as it currently stands, works massively in the Conservatives' favour. What I'm talking about is at the next election, if Labour, the Lib Dems and SNP have a proper electoral, uh, electoral pact, built on the promise that Labour, if in power, will institute proportional representation within a year, then any, then any Lib Dem voter, any Green voter, will know that if they vote for Labour in a, in a, in a Labour constituency, it's a way to make their votes actually count at the following election. Yes, well, I mean, I'm not against proportional representation if it can integrate as well the much-needed connection between the individual MP and their local constituency. And it's not an impossible thing to do. But we spoke about it with Rory Stewart on a We did, we spoke episode. to Rory Stewart about it. it. And, and he's for it as well in, in the end because it should liberate having more of the small parties with some power. I'm very conscious that we are here three... Uh, Remainers that all voted for Remain talking about Brexit and the negative and positive. I, I, I can switch into my Brexit head, 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 head if you like. <laughs> no, <laughs> start arguing. W- wouldn't ask you that. Don't want to have anyone have a panic attack and be confused who they're listening to. <laughs> well, that was not upbeat. <laughs> I think that's fair to say that. Uh, he, he tried to describe himself as a cautious optimist, but he didn't really come over like that. Yes, but he, it was interesting that he wasn't a naive optimist, which I was worried about, which I think a lot of people uh, often gave the criticism of Remainers, that they were, especially those looking for a second vote, that they were naive optimists. Yes. But he definitely was quite a realist. He was a realist. I mean, that was, that, was, that was a very serious conversation with Femi. Let's talk to somebody who might take a lighter look at some of the big issues we've been discussing. And who better to give us that insight than one of my favourite comedians, Jimmy Carr. So we've got Jimmy Carr joining us, who's an English comedian, writer, television presenter, has a bunch of specials on Netflix that you can go watch and laugh at. Uh, no, don't, don't do this for the podcast. What? Just listen to the podcast. Don't tell them that I've got specials. They might go, oh, he's got specials on Netflix. I'll, I'll go and do that rather yeah, than listen to this podcast. <laughs> you want to you promote your own thing. My, this is the career highlight. I'm on your podcast. This is, it's all built up to this. Yes. It's a really good point. Jimmy is lucky enough that we have allowed him to come on here. He's just thrilled. I frankly, I can't believe your luck. This is huge. This is really going to turn around this this tin pot organisation. What is it? The Times? Come on. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, you do a bunch of things like um, eight out of ten cats does countdown. You do the big fat quiz of the year at the end of the year, which this year is surely going to be really hard to find a lot of comic questions for. I, I, I don't know. I mean, a lot of stuff has happened other than the pandemic. Uh, I think we'll be okay. I think there's lots of stuff around it. And also, I do think there's a cathartic thing with uh, looking back over this year and kind of trying to make sense of it. I think that's kind of what comedy does at its best. It's kind of the idea of you're trying to make sense of what just happened. So uh, our main topic of the d- today is talking about whether we're optimistic or pessimistic about the future. Uh, where do you think you land on that? Do you feel positive going forward, negative? I'm, I'm very optimistic. But then I think the more you know about the past, the more optimistic you are. It seems that everything's moving in the right direction. You think things are getting better? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think genuinely things are getting better. I'm a bit, I really like that Stephen Pinker book. He wrote sort of two back to back, which was, again, brilliant. He wrote basically the same book twice. He wrote um, better, uh, better Angels of Our Nature, and enlightenment now and the idea was since the enlightenment things have got better all the time now not in a uniform fashion but it's on a trajectory so that you know thing there seems to be uh, you know more freedom going on than there was so you know 
I think there'll be I think there'll be gay marriage in Saudi Arabia. It just won't be soon. Well, it, though you'll always find things, won't you, Jimmy, when you look in the past that are a lot worse than where we are. But as an average year in the UK, I am struck by the fact we've got this pandemic, we've got the Brexit mess, and we've got a prime minister who's trying to get his MPs to vote for something that is illegal. All these things do add up to quite a cocktail of bad things going on in the UK at the moment. I'm, I want to be the optimist in this group, but I'm really struggling. Well, I mean, well, then I think I think what you're lacking there is perspective. Okay. Yeah, things are not great in the UK this year. But I mean, they're better than they were in the late 70s. Or the Black Plague. Or, or yeah, sure. Um, you know, they're better than they were and they're better than they are in lots of other places in the world. I think it's our, our kind of um, birthright of everything being kind of great here all the time. We've had a really great, you know, I don't know, 1960 to now has been, been, you know, it gets better. Yeah. I think. Also, I really like the, um, do you know that guy, um, William Gibson? He's a sci-fi writer. And he had this brilliant line, which was, the future is here, but it's not evenly distributed. Mm, That's good. And the idea that you go, oh, there are places that are doing it better than us, but, you know, we can just copy that. We just, well, oh yeah, their social policy seems better than ours. Their education system seems better than ours. So we can just kind of, people are getting stuff right around the world. A lot of politics nowadays seems to be quite like, remember the good old days. Remember when America was great. Remember when we had blue passports. Actually, people seem to not always be thinking about. That I think is a very interesting sort of um, between left and right. I think if, you, if you're on the right, it tends to be that you're, you're sort of, um, remembering a time, trying to get back to a time, and on the left, you're sort of trying to go forward. Broadly speaking, that seems to be the thing, you know. So I, I put myself on the left in that respect, in that I think things are getting better. And I think actually, when you when you analyse the past, it's you know it's it's pretty grim for a lot of people. Mm. And I think that thing about we are quite um, we tend to think of ourselves a lot rather than thinking globally. So although we say, oh my God, we've had a terrible year, we've had an absolute shocker. I'd rather 2020 in Britain than 2017, 18 or 19 in Syria, of course. And it's not to say that, you know, first world problems, because you can only deal with what's in front of you, right? It, it's, um, but also it's like that, that thing of like, what's it given us this year? You know, lots, I think. I mean, there's, there's an incredible sense of empathy, I think, because everyone's gone through anxiety and depression in the lockdown. And for me, it's, remember that advert, it was only about two years ago, there was an ad about mental health. And it was all about how one in four people have suffered mental health problems. I think now we can round it up to four in four. Yes, everyone, especially young people. Of course, I mean, I mean you know, this generation, it's just, it, nothing's gone right. But, but the idea that you go, well, that's, that's really interesting. That makes you much more empathetic for the rest of your life. That, you know, you can take that as a curse or as a gift. I love how, like, political we've suddenly got and how far away from anything comedian. Do you think it's hard to make jokes and be a comedian during a tough time, or do you think it's easier and necessary? It's it's so much easier to be a comedian now because people genuinely uh, need it. They need to laugh. They need to make sense of it. And I think whatever you... The jokes don't have to be about anything. Like, I think there's a... There's a disconnect for me with comedians telling you what to think, which I'm not a huge fan of. I think I know some incredibly intelligent, uh, educated, um, wonderful comedians, and I take their opinions very seriously. But I don't like anyone kind of telling me what to think. I like people making me laugh and sort of opening my mind to other people's perspectives. I think that's an incredibly healthy thing. But just the act of laughing is kind of an act of optimism. True. This, and it's a, it's a lovely thing to be able to do. It's a great gift you have making us laugh because just laughing makes you feel sort of uh, better about life, full stop, whatever's going off on. There's, there's quite, quite a lot of debate recently, Jimmy, about whether there are just too many, politi- too, many, <laughs> too many comedians on the left and not enough comedians on the right. Do you think there's a legitimate argument there that, you know, comedy comes from the left and that there just aren't enough people on the right who are able to make jokes about the left rather than always being comedians making jokes about the right um n- well no because i think like maybe maybe it's a uh, there's a disconnect in in um in professional comedy but i think in pub jokes they're all pretty right wing right so if you took it as a whole comedy in society i'd say there's voices on on both sides and 
I'm not a particularly political comedian. I don't think my sort of affiliations would really affect my act that much. I think most comedians aren't very political. And, you know, sometimes when we get interviewed, we're, we're very flattered by someone taking an interest if we start saying, well, I think this and I think that, and whatever. It's like, it's, it's just, we're, we're, we're fools. We're there basically to kind of, um, just to make light of whatever's going on. There's, I suppose we're in the grand tradition though of, you know, jesters. Yes. Uh, the court jesters used to do, there's a great story about the Great Wall of China, uh, you know, 4,000 years ago, whenever, whenever it was built. I, I really don't know my history. But when they built the Great Wall of China, the emperor's intention was to paint it. That's, that's like it gold, effectively bankrupt the nation just doing it. So as soon as they went, oh, we're going to paint it, the jesters started taking the piss out of this. And okay. that was apparently the thing that made the emperor go, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe that is silly. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. those things can, be, can, can have an effect. I mean, not often. There's one example every 4,000 years. <laughs> I think part of the issue is that, or part of the reason people view it this way as being so left-wing is that comedy comedy often punches up you know usually it's punching up it's punching at the government or making fun of them people don't usually punch down because that's just not as funny i take your point now i mean i i think i've been accused of punching down a few times and probably rightly so but for me it's never a punch it's a tickle it's the 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 whole concept of comedy is, is it's, it's a tickle it's I, I sort of subscribe to the um uh it would be benign violation theory of comedy which is comedy is taking these violations in our lives whatever they are, could be COVID, could be cancer, could be a parking ticket. And it's making those things benign by laughing at them. So the very act of making a joke and laughing uh, makes it uh, axiomatically inoffensive. Uh, do you think that the um, uh, feeling that there might be more people taking offence now has inhibited some comedy? I, I, I don't think so. I think it's the same number of people taking offence. I just think now people have voices, which has got to be a good thing. Yeah. It yeah, used to be, cool. if you were offended by a TV show, maybe one in a hundred people would, one in a thousand people might write into points of view. They'd write a letter to the BBC saying, oh, I was disgusted. And most people would just go, oh, I'm not going to watch that again. Now everyone's on Twitter and, and social media and they all have voices. Broadly speaking, is that not a good thing? Do you care about people saying mean things to you online or, or you know, thinking you're hateful or being hateful towards you? How, how, does, it, does it impact you? I suppose the psychology of being a comedian is you get into it because you desperately want to be liked by strangers. I mean, it's essentially, it's a personality disorder you can do as a job. So, of course, it's very upsetting when people say terrible things to me. But, I mean, it's just don't look at that stuff. That seems to be the secret is if you're having a tough time, get off social media. Mm. It's also, though, you know, I suppose you have to look at it in the round. There's so many lovely people that come to shows and they laugh and, and they come up to you and occasionally you get like a really beautiful story about how your sense of humour is their sense of humour and it helped them through something. And it's, it's really joyful most of the time. And then some, sometimes someone says something and just goes, I think you're unfunny. And it tends to be on a day when you go, oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> me too, I can't believe. Oh, yeah, thank God someone said it. Um, and in terms of being optimistic or pessimistic, can I ask, you recently spoke about getting hair plugs. Do you think that's you being optimistic about your future and your looks? And No, I just, I think um, I'm in show business, baby. Uh, so I got, my, I got my teeth fixed and I didn't, you know, I mean, a hair transplant makes it sound like I had to wait for, you know, a member of One Direction to die in a car crash. <laughs> harvest his hair. I just, re my, mine was a problem. It's a political problem. It was a problem of redistribution of hair. I had too much at the back. Oh, and at the front. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm, we were just talking before you came on about the fact that I'm turning 30 this year and I have never cared about my age and suddenly I'm having a bit of a crisis because I think of myself as being just so young and childlike. So I went out and just have got like my ear pierced up here, which is just so painful and just, just, looks like a scaffolding piece in my ear it's like an arrow it's gone straight through her ear like that and i'm just sitting here were you about to come on yeah. jimmy and i just I said well i mean this would be that? that would be an interesting and rebellious story were we to go back 20 years that ain't that isn't anything <laughs> you need a facial tattoo I oh no. <laughs> not the, the bar has been raised on rebellion to such a degree that what's the point anymore hang on she's gonna cry um <laughs> And now a facial tattoo is like, nah, whatever. It's a guy, it's the barista. Yeah, it's quite cool, quite hot. So 
So we invited onto our optimistic pessimistic chat a Labour former politician, a hard Remainer and a dark humoured comedian and I really thought they would all be much more pessimistic and really they all seemed fairly optimistic. They yes. all saw the positive in everything. I'm now feeling like Debbie Downer. You are Debbie Downer. Come and join um, Percy Positive. <laughs> Let's be upbeat Percy about life. Positive. Who is... I don't know if that's if that's an old... Tiny oh, character I, I, from a show you watched and nobody else alive did, or if that's just come out of your noggin. Sunshine Sally. Okay, uh, that that does sound more realistic. <laughs> okay, but the basic point is, Flora, is that there are reasons to be optimistic. There are reasons to be pessimistic, but if you choose optimism, you're going to be part of the group that are trying to make the change. I mean, Femi, whether people love him or loathe him, because he takes such a strong stand, you've got to admire him for his passion his determination and his pursuit of his goal uh, so you know what that means now that we've finished our season less fantastic debates between the two of us i don't think that's ever gonna finish uh, no it means i have now have no reason to come over to your house anymore oh oh no an evening without you to argue with that's a um that's a really gonna be a tough call for me mum's already reaching for another bottle of wine <laughs> Thanks for listening to Split Opinion. We hope you've enjoyed the series. You can listen to the complete back catalogue on Acast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and the Times Radio app. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.